Good evening, everybody, and welcome on into our Final Fantasy podcast. And today is all about Final Fantasy X. It's part two. It's part two of Final Fantasy X. So, uh, was it January? I think it was January when we had part one. Um, and that was with Sweetheart Ali, Kane Highwind, and Panda Ramen Cat. And today we have Chris, otherwise known as uh, Fenmeister, and Jupe, otherwise known as Jupe for Gaming. So welcome on in, Chris and Jupe. Thank you very much for being here today, guys. Oh, Chris, I couldn't hear you then. Could Jupe hear uh, Chris? Oh, me. there we go. Now we can hear you. Awesome. Okay. Um, so what we usually do at the start of the stream is uh, we introduce our guests of the evening and their love of Final Fantasy. And what we will aim specifically for today is what it is that makes 10 one of your favorite Final Fantasies. So we'll start with you, Chris. Uh, do you want to introduce yourself a little bit, what you do, and what it is that makes 10 one of your favorite Final Fantasies? Yeah, sure. So uh, I am Chris. I am the host of Geek Between the Lines, which is a podcast uh, where we explore different uh, geeky series. Uh, now we're doing a read-through of The Hunger Games, but we've talked about Star Wars and Lord of the Rings and Harry Potter and all sorts of other kinds of things. Uh, and I'm a huge gamer, and Final Fantasy has always been my, my main series that has meant a lot to me. Final Fantasy X is just always been a favorite. It's such a great game. I think it was the first game that really made me understand a like system generation change where Final Fantasy 7, 8, and 9 were great on PlayStation 1, but Final Fantasy 10 really showed with the PlayStation 2 and providing voice acting and 3D uh, worlds and, and just uh, really kind of impressing me, a young uh, teenage uh, Chris, uh, in a big way. Um, and I think that the fact that it ended up having a sequel also kept me immersed. I had more things to keep me excited uh, and be moving me forward. As I've gotten older and I've returned to it, uh, you know, as I like to do on the podcast, I really love engaging with the narrative and the world building, seeing the theme inside the game, it, it kind of says, and, and, the, and the characters who experience it. It's just uh, that I, I continue to revisit and love. Wonderful. One thing I will say, Chris, is that your mic is sort of cutting out quite frequently and i'm not sure if 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 there's a way of you maybe just bringing it closer to you or if it's maybe an internet connection issue i'm not sure but basically it just keeps cutting out a little bit um dupe how about yourself sir could you please introduce yourself and what makes 10 one of your favorite final fantasies yes i am uh i am me <laughs> i am <laughs> dupe uh i i stream stream on twitch uh, stream um, a lot of Final Fantasy games. We just went through, uh, just last week, uh, we finished Final Fantasy XIII, uh, the trilogy Final Fantasy XIII. Uh, we finished Lightning Returns. So that's done and done now. And uh, yeah, playing a lot of other Final Fantasy games as well. Although um, we'll be playing something Final Fantasy adjacent next with Chocobo Racing and Chocobo GP. Uh, so, but you know, some Chocobo stuff. Uh, um, which I mean, we have in Final Fantasy X as well, uh, and I like I, I like it in Final Fantasy X. <laughs> uh, I know a lot of people don't like it, like the uh, Chocobo mini games. Um, but anyways, uh, yeah, Final Fantasy X for me is is um, it is my third 
favorite Final Fantasy game, uh, as I determined recently. Um, it is it is the first um, Final Fantasy game that I have actually bought myself. Uh, the first game in general that I've bought myself, like with my own money, uh, was Final Fantasy X uh, for for our new PlayStation Two when we got it, and it was it was uh, great. Um, yeah, there's. I mean, there's a lot to say about it. Uh, I can talk about Final Fantasy X for hours, but let's maybe... Well, I mean, we will be let's talking maybe... about Final Fantasy X yeah. for a couple hours, probably. Um, yeah. So I just wanted to say to chat, um, you do have the option of asking questions to these guys. Uh, as usual, I have changed the uh, channel points where you are able to spend just 50 points to put in a question for either Chris or Jupe or, or both, everybody, if you wanted to. Um, mostly aiming at Final Fantasy X this evening, but obviously you can spread that a little bit further because these guys are well-versed in Final Fantasy games. Um, the other thing I'm just going to point out now is I noticed that my chat that usually goes along the bottom of the screen is not working this evening, and that's probably due to API updates within Twitch, and I did not check before this evening. So, um, sorry that you cannot read your own messages on the screen today, um, but we'll have to get past that. But yes, any questions that you do have for these two, please do throw them on through the channel points. Uh, and I will read them out through uh, through this evening. But welcome on in, everybody. We'll start with um, we've gone through the first question, so we'll we'll get into the next one, which is who is your favorite character and why? And I'll start that one with Jupe. Yeah, um, for me, it really comes down to um, Yuna uh, at the end of it all. Uh, I like them all. Uh, I like all the characters, but uh, but Yuna, I think, is well. Uh, my 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 take on it is that Yuna is the protagonist of the of the game of the story. Uh, Tidus is simply the character you play as, um, but it's all about Yuna's story and everything. Um, even though Tidus is always like, "This is my story," <laughs> but no, uh, it, it's Yuna, and Yuna goes through. Um, I feel a really interesting uh, development of of the character, um, and and. Even even in addition to that, you you get the feeling that you know there's there's more to the character than what you've seen, and and um, but, but yeah, it's a, it's the transformation going from you know um, the summoner who is who is just going to follow uh, the the teachings of Yevon uh, to the T uh, to then um, as as a kind of big moment in the game deciding to deciding to go against it and 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 deciding to um forego the the um the tradition of the final aeon so so yeah uh, to to me it's it's all about you know did you do a yuna only run on stream once <laughs> yeah in, in because recently, of yeah. your love of yuna or just for funsies no no uh, although yeah i mean that relates to yuna <laughs> i I'm, i was answering this more in in terms of of course of story but mm. uh, yuna is also my favorite character like play uh, gameplay wise <laughs> okay good to know just wondering uh and yeah. chris what about yourself who is your favorite character and why oh chris has gone silent oh dear <laughs> sorry about this hiccup 
this evening. We we have had Chris's microphone has has created some issues this evening already. Um, we cannot hear you, sir. I'm not sure what change you made. Oh dear. He may have to pop off and on, which is okay. We can talk amongst ourselves. Um, for those of you that don't know, uh, Dupe has done some very interesting Final Fantasy X playthroughs on Twitch. Uh, hence the the question about Yuna. Um, you've done, the Yuna was that a skip? Was that a uh, speedrun skip one as well, or was that a separate playthrough? No, I mean I, I've I've not done like a proper speedrun of ten uh, at any point, but um. Uh, it, it was just like a challenge run, and and I, well, took it as as you know as as fast as possible in a way. But yeah, you know, using the boosters and everything to speed things up. Oh, like the um, the summon boost things. That... No, 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 I mean, I mean the like uh, uh, four times speed. Uh, oh, of course. Yeah. I only learned yeah. about four times speed the other day, and I, I, I only, <laughs> I thought there was only a two times speed, and then I watched some speed running on Games Done Quick, and they went, the first thing we're gonna do is four times speed. I was like, no, <laughs> mind blown. <laughs> All this time. Oh, I have a want to become famous bot in chat. Uh, do I have a mod that has already banned it? They might have already banned it for all I know. That's just lovely. Thank you for asking if I want to be famous. Um, we do have some questions that people have asked actually, which are quite funny. Paul has asked, uh, did you want to be a Blitzball when you grew up? Um, and Waking asked, was Blitzball a good idea or do you think uh, Square Enix misread the audience? <laughs> Interesting question, Waking. Um, Dupe might have might have some answers on Blitzball, or Chris if we can hear him again. But I'm not sure if we can yet. Yeah, my back. We can. Here. Yes, we can Yay. hear you. Wonderful. <laughs> oh, sorry about that. No, that's good. You sound good. You're not cutting out. So hopefully that's all good now. Um, yes. So so let's let's go through your favorite character in Final Fantasy X. Uh, yeah, I, I'm actually in complete agreement with Dupe. Uh, it is Yuna uh, for me as well. Oh. And, and you know, Dupe said it exactly. You know, she is the the narrative uh, agent, right? She's the one progressing the narrative in the game. And, uh, you know, following her and what she's doing has always been something that I find not only compelling, but but I'm more curious about her because she is someone, particularly in, in Final Fantasy X, who's so much more guarded uh, with the way that she presents herself. And so learning more about what she's thinking, what she's feeling is something that every time I play through, I'm always keeping an eye on and, and, and keeping, uh, you know, really just feeling that curiosity for. But I also just really admire her, her strength and her kindness and the ways that she accepts responsibility with courage and with determination um, and just the, the, the immense amount of strength that it takes for, for her to do those kinds of things. Yeah, I mean, I agree with both of you. It is definitely her tale to be told. Um, okay, so my next question is, which character do you feel is the least developed and why? So not like your least favorite, but the least developed. Chris, can we start with you on that? Sure, yeah, for me, I think it, it's Kamari. Uh, Kamari, I think, is, is a really great character and very interesting, but he kind of stays one uh, in one 
zone the entire game where it's basically his only motivation is to protect Yuna and uh you know he has a couple kind of changes where he finally starts talking to Titus uh after being silent for you know a good portion of the game and then we see his engagement with Biron and Yenke and the other Ronso but um, you know, he, he doesn't do much, uh, he doesn't really have his own journey that we're following him on in the same way that a lot of the other characters do. Uh, so I think that, that, that's something that I, I would have liked to see more of. And, and then I think that the, the sequel actually does a pretty good job of. Mm, I, I, I feel we're going to have to talk a little bit about the sequel later because it's getting brought up a few times. Um, okay. And Duke, what about you? Who's least developed for you? Yeah, um, well, of course, there, there's no no denying that Kimari is is um, not not used in in so, so much uh, as, as there's always like a, a character in every Final Fantasy that just doesn't get much like Freya Amarant in Final Fantasy IX. <laughs> but uh, anyways, uh, I thought that uh, in addition to Kimari, though, I would say that there's a few others, in fact. And I would I would actually say that Lulu is one character that doesn't really get developed because um, I, I I think Lulu gives you Lulu's the Lulu's the character that's there to explain everything to Titus and and to the audience to just be like the answer machine to everything. Uh, so you get the sense that Lulu's story has already been told. Lulu has already had had her adventures before, and as as you you know learn. Uh, there, there's only a few moments in the game where Lulu is actually like, where, where there's there's a story about Lulu um, rather than anything else, um, and even those don't really push the character in any direction, in my opinion. So, so I think Lulu is a character that has a lot of screen time, for sure, but doesn't really develop anywhere. Doesn't really have have like. She's there to tag along and answer Tita's questions, and that's pretty much it. I mean, I love the character I, I, from, from a story perspective, uh, but, but yeah, that's another one, I'd say. I mean, it's interesting to me with Lulu is that she holds a stuffed toy, um, and that is her weapon, is a stuffed toy. You feel like there could be a bit of some story behind that. Um, you know, why do I choose to hold a, a Moomba? from Final Fantasy VIII sometimes. I don't know, like, did she need to sleep with it as well? Uh, you know, has she got some issues there? Anyway, um, Duke, which abilities are the best to unlock for which character in this game? Yeah, I thought, I think this is a really interesting question because um, the uh, one thing I love about Final Fantasy X is the gameplay. Um, all in all, uh, and the character progression is also a really, really fun one because you have uh, you have so much freedom um, about doing everything uh, with with your characters. And like, if you're well, the the f for the question, it is mostly about like what if you're going through the standard sphere grid. What's on the standard sphere grid? That's what you get. Um, but but like with your if you're taking more freedom with where you're going with the characters, you can really um, really like customize your characters into into whatever you want. You can make Lulu your hard hitting front physical fighter if you want. 
uh, <laughs> or or whatever you want. But uh, generally speaking, though, there are a few abilities that are super powerful um, for for characters, and and maybe like there, there's the ones that are quite obvious later on, like uh, double casting black magic and such is uh, obviously like super powerful and everything. But one um, sort of I'd say two. I have two, two like pro tips <laughs> about about cool ability combos. The first one for Yuna is that um, uh, Yuna Sphere Grid. We're, we're talking about the standard Sphere Grid here. Yuna Sphere Grid is filled with magic, uh, magic power, um, uh, but doesn't have many like offensive spells. Um, while Lulu's Sphere Grid is filled with offensive spells, but not actually that much magic. Uh, ability. So, so when you get a black magic sphere, which lets you steal like some some spell from somewhere, uh, giving a uh, a damaging spell to Yuna is actually super great because uh, she she gets really powerful with that. And another one would be for Kimari, uh, picking uh, throwing Kimari in like Yuna's sphere grid and then picking Holy can be a really great great idea for a particular fight in the game where you may or may not have to use Kimari. <laughs> so I, I think those are a few few really cool abilities to get. They're good tips as well. That's very good tips. I've I always, whenever I've played it, I've never known what to do with Kimari. I always think like which way to go? Which way to go on this? So yeah, that's brilliant. Um Chris <laughs> Let's start uh, talking about a bit of Blitzball, shall we? Um, do you think the idea of Blitzball is a take on Harry Potter's Quidditch? And how do you feel about the fact they encourage you to play this game and collect players for your team? Yeah, this is a, a great question um, because I, I never really put the connection between Quidditch and Blitzball myself, uh, which is funny because I do a podcast about Harry Potter. Um, but uh, I definitely see, you know, these parallels where they're both these really great, fantastic visions of of sport, where one is in the air, one is in the water, um, and that lets them do kind of these these wacky and, and fun things. But when when I was thinking on it, I, I don't really see them as as that as really kind of at their core being that similar. Um, and that's mostly because Quidditch is essentially a a way that the narrative could give Harry more ability to be a hero because the game is all about really one person uh, who has the ability to score 150 points all on their own. Uh, and, you know, for that story, it's really another way for Harry to do something spectacular. Whereas with Quidditch... I'm sorry, with Blitzball, it really is about the team dynamics. Obviously, star player of the Xanarkin Abes, the Jack shot, you know, Titus can do some some great things there. But um, one of the things that, that you mentioned in this question is how, you know, the, the game lets you collect players and really manage a team. It's not just about playing, but there's that kind of management element. And I think that being successful at Blitzball uh, often does come about with, you know, successful team management and being able to train up and and find the best players for it. And so it really becomes much more of a team-focused thing than that kind of single-star player thing that, that Quidditch has. Um, so I like the Blitzball. I've always liked Blitzball. When I was in high school, I would play it, you know, all night. Uh, and even now I'll play it while it's in a, I think it's a great podcast game to play and, and, and take a listen to. But, um, you know, it, it hits me kind of right where I 
live because it's I, I love like tactics games as well like XCOM and and Fort Condor in Final Fantasy 7 um and so having a more tactical sports game is actually kind of fun for me where I, I don't have to worry about you know very quick refluxes as much as I do about how I want to create my team and things like that um I will say that that I never actually spent much time collecting players, though, in the past. I uh, my, my first few playthroughs, I would mostly just stick with the Aurochs. I would just have so much loyalty to them that I'd just kind of keep that team and, and move them along and, and still be fine at, at you know winning uh, enough games to get the things I wanted out of Blitzball. But this last playthrough, I, I did go to the internet, see which characters had the best stats. Uh, I, I picked up Miu and Wedge and Brother, and I realized the game gets so much easier when and that's the case when you have these overpowered characters who are just brothers just swimming around everyone in the the, the pool uh and it uh, it does make it you know a, a very different experience but i like blitzball i like this different dynamic i think it's a fun uh additional uh element to the game i know that a lot of people don't like blitzball and i can imagine how those people you know get frustrated with especially having to play a the one fairly difficult game in the game because you don't have, you know, that control over the team the same way. But uh, yeah, I, I, I dig it. I like it. Um, and that was quite funny because Jupe reacted to the players that you choose. Uh, Jupe, when you play Blitzball, do you choose the same players? Is that like a, a known thing that you get those peeps? Um, well, yes and yes to to both of both of uh, Chris's teams. Um, I do also like to play with the Aurochs, uh, partly for the challenge, but also, yeah, yeah. Those are, you know, the, there's there's those few few names that you know, you know that they they are the good ones. Whether it's like this is the character that you can get really early on that is really good, like Wedge or or Jumal from from Luca, uh, and and uh, or then the ones that are really like the top players. Interesting. Very interesting. Okay, so carrying on with a bit of Blitzball conversation, uh, Dupe, it replaces cards in this Final Fantasy. What achievements or items do you get by playing games of Blitzball? Um, yeah, so I, I am a lover of Blitzball, if, if it's not obvious. Um, so the greatest achievement is, of course, the satisfaction of playing the game. Um, <laughs> but... You do, you do get like um, uh, you. Uh, the Blitzball is a game that you can uh, safely ignore. Luckily for for a lot of people, if you're not really interested in um, in, well, it's it's basically because it's it gives you Walker's um, ultimate weapon as well as Walker's uh, overdrives. Those are the are the main thing that you can get from Blitzball. Um, but there's also a bunch of other other things that you can get through there, which uh, may be difficult to get otherwise, or which just are are nice to get through. That uh, you can get spheres, you can get good good like spheres to move around the sphere grid with um, uh, friends, spheres, warp spheres, such. You can get um, <laughs> you 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 can get some really bad items as well. Like some consumables <laughs> that that aren't going to help you much, um, or or like stuff like rename cards, such. Um, but yeah, there's there's a bunch of different kinds of things you can get, but you don't really like get a lot of them 
considering uh, you only like get an item for winning uh, the league or winning a tournament. So you're going to play a few games, which uh, is going to take quite a lot of time uh, for you to be able to get something. So it's not really good for farming items necessarily, but but um, but yeah, there's there's a few good things, and and specifically it's Walker's weapon and and um, overdrives to, that you want to get from there. And do you think uh, do you think the Wacker's weapon and overdrive are worth the amount of time that you put in for that? Um, uh, it it kind of depends. Wacker is one of the strongest characters to use um, in like post game uh, super boss fighting stuff, um, and even like before that. Um, so I would say that the weapon is not necessarily worth it if you're just doing um, a casual run, um, because it does it, it is quite the time investment to try and get it. Um, but uh, one thing that is worth it is attack reels. Uh, Walker's second overdrive, which is the first one that you can get from the, from the Blitzball game. So you will have to play a few few rounds of Blitzball for it, but um, it is very much worth it because it is one of the most uh, powerful attacks, uh, or potentially one of the most powerful attacks in the game. Very interesting. Um, my next question is, which part of the storyline do you enjoy most? We'll go to Chris first. Yeah, uh, I really love everything kind of from home through the scene in Makalania after uh, after the wedding. Um, with, you know, Titus finding out about the summoner's death and that sacrifice, uh, Yuna's wedding itself, um, the group revol resolving itself to go against Yevin, to go against the most powerful social force in, in their world, um, and Yuna and Titus's romance scene, uh, which is, I think, very bittersweet. Uh, in particular, I really love Yuna's wedding scene. I think it's a really great scene because, you know, as, as Dupe and I were talking about, you know, Yuna is such a great character and this is such a great moment for her because she is in this moment standing up to a, you know, strict controlling social structure in Yevin. Um, and as a wedding, I think it's also interesting because it's in a way kind of her standing up to the patriarchy, right? This kind of metaphor of her standing up against these, these controlling factors. You know, Seymour's plan in this case is to, to use her, to, to kind of make her into a tool for himself, right? Initially, to wed her so that they can be the hope for Spira, which, you know, helps him retain his power as a maester, uh, and all, all of the maesters are men, uh, unsurprisingly. But ultimately, he plans to use her death for his own gain, for his own plans, really trying to to use her in that way. And so I think in this, in this way, Seymour becomes almost like the personification of Spira's sacrifice of the summoners, where he is trying to sacrifice Yuna in the same way that Spira, which he represents as a maester, is trying to, you know, utilize her and sacrifice her. Um, and so while all this is going on, Yuna chooses to be at this wedding, right? She's not forced to be there against her will. She chooses to be there. So she's using and subverting her role, that, or the role that's expected of her, right? As this, this wife, this tool of Yevin. But instead, she plans to use that opportunity and her own power to, to send Seymour, to, to, you know, subvert their expectations. Um, and, you know, maybe she would have been able to send Seymour if the rest of the group didn't show up and couldn't be used as a 
tool against her, uh, you know, for them being in danger. So, yeah, I, I think that that's a really powerful moment. I, I like for what, what it represents, and I like the choice that she and the rest of the group make to continue the journey at all, despite all of the costs and to do what's right rather than what their society is telling them to do. I think that, that that's a really powerful moment of that. Um, and the romance coming out of that, you know, not only it, you know, gets my feels going, which is always great, but it's also a, uh, you know, I think a, a moment where they are weighing their personal desires with the responsibility to society um, in really powerful ways. Beautiful. I mean, the wedding for me is is definitely my favorite part as well. It's just a big thing. Uh, Jupe, what about you? Which part of the storyline do you enjoy most? Yeah, um, I of course also like everything <laughs> all of it <laughs> but uh but, but like yeah the, the, those scenes are really great and I'll, i want to say about the romance scene that um what i i really like about it is the fact that you know um both Titus and yuna go on this sort of um theoretical adventure of okay well how about if we just stop uh and what if we just go go and leave all of all of this behind and like you have that super powerful moment where where Yuna then still just like starts crying and and just like it's just like I I can't do it because I have to do this I have to save everyone I have to like I have no choice I have to go out there um, so that is uh, a really great great scene as well but what I I wanted to talk about was really the ending um, I really really like the ending of it um, I um, in general, I am a fan of less happy endings, uh, uh, and and I think uh, Final Fantasy X's ending is is really great um, because of the sort of bittersweetness of it all. Um, as you know, uh, everything like from from when you get to Jekt and 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 you go through the fight and everything, um, uh, like from if we look at it from the point of view of Yuna again, you have you have Yuna having to sacrifice all of the aeons, which is uh, like these these things that have have first of all helped her through the whole journey, but also which are like important religious icons to the whole world, and Yuna has to just like go through them and and just like kill them all. Uh, but then also having to lose Titus and and um having to lose all of that uh which i think is in a way really interesting because you know was ready to make like the ultimate sacrifice of 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 you know sacrificing her life to save um save all of spira but instead she lives uh but with a lot of loss and and uh, the very very like ending speech of the game that Yuna holds is is really uh, great. The way that it it goes and the final moments of Yuna just like mentioning the dreams that have have been lost and so on. So that is really uh, probably the like my favorite favorite uh, thing about it. I guess. Very nice, lovely. Yeah, I uh, think this might might be the best ending of any Final Fantasy game. Um, I, I, I think that, it, for me at least, it, 
it stands up there. I think some other other endings can, uh, you know, have some some really ambiguous parts that that you know can be a little bit more hard to parse. Uh, this one is really just right in there with the the emotional impact. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um... I always forget Final Fantasy endings, but Final Fantasy X is one that I do remember. So that, that I guess, is probably why it's easier for me to work out. Anyway, um, let's move on to the next question. Uh, Chris, um, what do you think about the theory, which is apparently confirmed, that Seymour's mother wanted to become a Faith to protect her son from beyond? Wanting him to die so that he would earn acceptance. Yeah, this uh, a lot of this comes from the Ultimania, which was only recently published in English. But you know, people have been talking about translations and things like that for a long time. But uh, it, it's one of the ways that I think the guide, the Ultimania guide, provides a lot more background on Seymour that I wish was in the game because it's really interesting and it makes him an even more compelling villain. Um, Essentially, his father wed a human woman because he was trying to bring Yevon to the Guado. Uh, he was trying to, you know, bring Guado into more mainstream society in Spira, and Seymour was a result of that relationship. Um, but this wasn't a smooth translation uh, transition for the Guado, and a lot of them uh, resisted the idea of bringing Yevon in, and ultimately leading to Seymour and his uh, and his mother's exile from Guado Salam. And so his mother understood that he was cast out of Guado society and that he likely wouldn't be uh, accepted in other elements of society, you know, who are, as we see with the hatred against the Albed, pretty nativist and, and kind of uh, divided in that way. And she knew that she was going to die soon. So herself as the only person who cares about him. Um, she's going to die of an illness and she decides that um, the best thing for him is to make herself into a final Aeon, uh, into that faith, and um, have him do a final summoning. And even though that would end in his death, it would also be the way that he would be accepted. He would finally have, um, you know, respect of society, of every member of society, by, uh, you know, bringing the calm. Um, and so... The process through which this happens, and she does become a faith for Anima, um, you know, Seymour learns how the system works. He learns how the final summoning kills a summoner and becomes the new sin, but he's still a child at this point, and he chooses not to go through with that, not to, to confront sin with this final Aeon. Um, and so eventually when his father does succeed at bringing the Guado into Yevin, Seymour is able to come back. He becomes a priest and ultimately a maester once he kills his father and takes his place. Um, and he takes his place in this hierarchy and he starts having, um, his own plan and, and, and this backstory I think shows, you know, why he has that plan, why he thinks that life is suffering, um, when he is cast out of society as a young child and the only person who was able to help him in any way herself died and why he thinks that the only end to suffering is then death, the death of everything. Um, his mother taught him that his mother taught him that she wanted his death to be the end of his suffering and the, you know, the gaining of his respect. And so it makes more sense why he has these ideas because, you know, Ultimately, you could say he has a similar goal to the party, that he wants to end Spira's suffering. He just has a very drastically different perspective on how to achieve that end. Uh, and 
so yeah, I think that that his his mother is an interesting character. He's an interesting character, and finding out more about that that history in the game would have added even more to to what, even though I already think that he he's very compelling in what he's presented as in the game. Um, more of this backstory, I think, is 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 very fascinating. Yeah, I agree. Do, do you have any any words on that or no? Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I think Simon's uh, mother's story is really tragic, uh, the way that, you know, <clears throat> it, it's kind of like Simon like has gone through the same story that, uh, that our party in the game goes through, uh, you know, gone through the whole pilgrimage and everything, and then gone over to Unaleska and been like, hey, let's do this, and Unaleska's been okay, let's do this. Who's your final Aeon? Your mom? Okay, let's do it. And then after that, Seymour is like, uh, no thanks. Uh, so that kind of reflects or mirrors uh, Yuna's story, except that Yuna decides before making somebody into the final Aeon that, okay, let's not do this. <laughs> and Seymour, of course, had, had a different motivation for it as well. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's... Um... It certainly gives me a whole new view of Seymour. So, you know, I, I wouldn't have even thought or known of all of this stuff when I first played Final Fantasy X. And so to me, Seymour was just this, you know, like a bad guy. And um, yeah, get, getting this extra bit of information really makes you think more about him as a person and, and, the, and the development of the character in the game. Um, Paul has just written in chat, so Seymour sacrificed his mother for nothing? <laughs> and then he dying. wants to become sacrifice himself which I, you know he wants to to fulfill those same roles which you know so much of Yuna and Titus's journeys also are about their relationships with their parents um and how much they want to you know remake those stories uh and, and revisit those stories and Seymour is a great antagonist because he's doing the same in reverse mm, I guess really Final Fantasy X is very much about parents and their children it is very just centered on that <laughs> i never really put those two together until now <laughs> um okay let's have a look at my next question it's another one for chris each character has their own variation of a limit break with riku mixing ingredients Waka basically playing elemental slots and kamari having options such as putting up a mighty guard how do you feel that le these limit breaks compare to other Final Fantasies such as seven or eight? And do you collect them all? Yeah, I typically do collect them all. Um, I think that th there have been some playthroughs where I just want to get through the story and maybe yeah, I'll just get attack reels um, and maybe not put all the time into getting arc reels. But otherwise, I think that it's a lot of fun to be able to uh, collect the the different uh, overdrives. And and I really appreciate how they, they kind of allow for different ways to show mechanically how these characters are leveling up, both mechanically and narratively, um, how they're becoming more powerful, where Waka gets new skills by playing Blitzball. He's a Blitzball player. You know, he, the more he plays, the more success he gets in that, the more that he... he he, he can do. Um, Riku collects items. She's, you know, an albed. She's She has steel as one of her, her most important and, and mix as her important skills. Um, Oren calls back to his time when he was alive and his past and revisits those to, get, uh, to gain power. Uh, and Titus just practices. He just does it a whole bunch and gets more and more skills. And so I think that um, it's cool because it's a way of letting them all have uh, 
their own both mechanical and narrative engagement with the world uh, in ways that they they get stronger, uh, and it gives the player some um, variety in the ways that you are trying to to level up your characters and make your characters more powerful. Where you know either you know in the same way that the crests give you so much uh, variety in the kind of tasks you're able to do, this is another way that you can you can explore Spira in a multitude of different ways. I'm going to quickly ask Jupe, do you collect all of them? Um, often, yes. Uh, sometimes, no. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I think it's actually really cool, the point of, of the narrative uh, element of, of the overdrives. Um, what, one thing I wanted to mention about overdrives is that uh, they, are, they are practically uh, the only... Um, gameplay difference between the characters, uh, actually, um, since every character can be made into anything in the sphere grid. Uh, the overdrive is basically the only thing that differentiates them, um, except for you know, having the ability to summon Aeons as, as an additional thing. Um, but yeah, that is the, that's like the, one of the only ways that in the end the characters differ from, from each other, and why Lulu is the worst character from a gameplay perspective. <laughs> oh, poor Lulu. Um, okay, well, my next question is, which is your favorite summon and why? We will start with Jupe. Um, I have to steal away with Anima, of course, um, because uh, Anima has, well, the cool backstory is, is, a, is a fun part of it, but also, like from from the perspective of the game, it's uh, of the story. It's really cool that you get to see this like super powerful Aeon um, early on in in Luca when when Seymour, you know, brings in the monsters and everything, uh, and then defeats them. Yay, Seymour is a hero. Uh, <laughs> but also, also um, of course, just because Anima is just so powerful, uh, being. The, the the overdrive is uh, is um uh if if i remember correctly in, in the um in the like most recent version uh, the, like the international release uh, anima's overdrive is the most powerful attack um overall that is possible in the game um because of, of its multi attack um and and yeah just generally when you get anima the aeon is really powerful so it is, it is, it is, yeah, I, I, I have to pick Anima. And does that mean Chris is going to also pick Anima or do you have a different option? I do have a different one. Uh, for me, it's Ixion. Um, ah. I really like Ixion. I've always kind of liked like lightning and thunder. Uh, I always picked Jolteon with my Eevee for Pokemon, you know, like that's just something that I think I enjoy, but um, I, I especially like him because he, he starts with haste and having, you know, the ability to cast that so early is, is always a lot of fun. And so when I think of Ixion in my mind, I think of a hasted version of him, like nodding his head up and down, like that vision comes to my mind so clearly. Uh, so that, that one's my favorite, I think. But I do remember, one of the things I remember most from my, my first time playing the game many, many years ago was the first time seeing Ifrit's Overdrive. Um, and just seeing every single step of his destruction uh, and feeling like, 
what more what what this is ridiculous like ultimately just like throwing the entire ground up in the air and then shooting this giant fireball at them like i was just it's absurd and amazing uh and so i give i have to give props to that just for the uh the animation uh, and design of that but uh my personal favorite would probably be ixian wonderful answer we have just had a raid from cerulean knight thank you so much for the raid and welcome on in everybody uh i was actually just about to remind chat if anybody has any final fancy questions that they would like to shout out at chris or Duke this evening um i have a channel point redemption that is only 50 points so you should automatically have access to it um feel free thank you for the shout out tomato feel free to um chuck a question at either of them it can be to eat to one in particular um just yeah throw the questions on in there and thank you very much for bringing your party over you were playing uncharted 4 i really need to play the uncharted games i'm so far behind on on those games um so we were just asking we were talking all things final fantasy 10 and we were just talking about our favorite summons and why now we're actually going to start moving on to um other things such as speed running so chris final fantasy 10 is a game that speedrunners hate you can't skip the cinematics and there are a lot of them instead of focusing on the negative of this do you think it's impressive and great that a game released in 2001 had so many fully voiced and animated cutscenes yeah i certainly do uh i i i probably don't i've never played a speed run of something that's not really my my gameplay style i can imagine how frustrating this game would be um with all of that voice dialogue uh compared to especially earlier final fantasy games but um I do really think that that is such a, a, a crucial element of this game. Certainly was for my experience. You know, I mentioned up top how, for me, this game helped to kind of solidify how console generations can lead to, to you know, big inv- advancements. And for one of them, for this, was the fact that it was fully voiced, that these characters who I was spending this much time with had a voice and had that kind of personality. Um, I think it especially is interesting considering the limitations at the time in regards to animation and uh, how that affects localization because the dialogue that uh, is written in English has to match up with the voice, the mouth movements of the, the character's uh, mouth that was created for their Japanese dialogue. And so it's a whole different uh, as- aspect of um, how they, they go about that that localization and how they, they bring that uh, to the English le- version of the game, which, you know, at times leads to some awkward dialogue. Uh, it can make the, the laughing scene seem a little stilted, but, uh, you know, certainly once you think about it from that perspective, it becomes a, uh, I think, a little bit more understandable. I, I remember... One of the things that I, I I remember the first time I realized like oh they never say Titus's name in the game because you can change his name which you could still do with Final Fantasy games back then and so they had to do all these things around it calling him new guy and all these other ways of being able to to talk to him without using his name in that way and so yeah for me it's it's interesting to think about these uh, the the kind of different. Uh, like design hurdles that come with fully voicing a game and this being one of those early examples of a console game certainly final fantasy that has those uh i think is is really impressive absolutely um so sorry to the speedrunners. um I, I i take it as a as a, a positive overall um but uh that that's certainly me 
I do remember um, thinking it was quite impressive at the time, having all of that with, and obviously being the first voiced. Totally, yeah. I do want to share yeah, one story. Oh, go, go ahead, dude, go ahead. Yeah, I, I wanted to say that uh, I, I do think that that Square, Square um, uh, the small indie studio, could have maybe figured, tried to figure out back then a way of maybe like having a skip uh, mm. but a skip button on those mm -hmm. cutscenes because it's uh, it's for uh, I, I remember somehow reading about it that it's somehow like hard coded in the game that it's really hard to create even in, in like a current version it is really difficult for them to implement any sort of skip uh, which is annoying even though I don't speed run the game either uh, it is annoying if you're just like if you just want to do like a quick let's play a little bit of Final Fantasy and let's just like play to do do some like gameplay and then there's some long cutscene with with Titus uh, and and Lulu talking about the backstory of of uh, everything so <laughs> I can I can kind of understand understand the pain yeah that's I've, fascinating I think it is one of the longest ones for people to speed run you just can't really cut the time down as much as you can with every other Final Fantasy uh Chris what was the story that you wanted to, to add to that yeah, so uh, my, not uh, this playthrough, uh, but the one I did before this was actually uh, the beginnings of the pandemic, and I was feeling kind of bummed, and I was like, you know what, I want my melancholic Final Fantasy, that's what's going to kind of cheer me up, and, and it really did, it really had a profound effect on me, and so I was texting my brother uh, about how much I was enjoying this playthrough, uh, and my brother works at Insomniac. Um, uh, in the narrative department there, and he was currently working on Ratchet and Clank, which stars uh, Jason uh, Arnold Taylor, who plays Titus. And so at one point, I get an email um, with a short 30-second uh, message from James Arnold Taylor in Titus's voice. Uh, basically saying hi and, and that, that, you know, he appreciates I love the game. And he was an amazing class act. He, not only is it great that he did that for a fan, but he was like, he did the laugh scene. He's like, oh, I thought that's hilarious. Ha, 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 ha. And he was talking about, like, different pronunciations of Titus or Titus. And, like, he was they clearly engaged with the fan discussion about the character and the game. It was such a cool thing for me to get. It's still something I, I treasure having and just a, just a cool thing for him to do. That is a very cool story. I think we're all a little bit jealous now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was like, I was flabbergasted when it happened. It literally, like, I could not, I, I couldn't sit down. I was like, this is the coolest thing. I've spent so much time with this game. Like, to have that was, uh, it was great. It was cool. Yeah. Um, relating to that, I love the fact that um, Jason, James Arnold Taylor uh, voices a lot of characters, like uh, in, in uh, the Clone Wars uh, series, voices uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi and everything, and, you know, uh, has different voices for different characters. But then you have uh, Titus and you have Ratchet, and they are basically the same, same totally. voice. So it's, <laughs> it's always... <laughs> Always confusing playing Ratchet and Clank and being like, huh? Wait, wait a minute, what's Titus doing here? That's so true. <laughs> uh, I just want to say welcome on in, Mr. Clappy, as well. Thank you very much for the raid. What was Mr. Clappy playing this evening? Could could please do a little shout out for Mr. Clappy, please? Um, welcome on in. We are talking all things Final Fantasy X. If you have any questions about Final Fantasy X, chuck it in the channel points redemption um, below and we will read them out uh, later on. So my next question 
is for dupe. Do you fight the dark aeons? Please explain a little bit about what they are, where they are, and how you go about fighting them. So, do I fight them? Usually not. <laughs> um, usually I don't really bother. Uh, they, they were in addition to the international version um, as sort of uh, the super bosses on top of the super bosses. And, and I mean, they are really, uh, they are, they are the tough ones. Um, they, uh, they are basically, um, I, I think uh, it was talked about last time uh, in, in the previous podcast, the sort of, sort of lore backstory of the, of the Dark Aeons and everything, but, but basically they are there to, to hunt down the, the, the player's party. Um, and and they are just very 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 tough versions of your aeons, um, and um, they they appear mostly in well they appear in places where they can kind of block off some of your old areas like they the um, dark valifor for example is in Besaid, uh and blocks off your entrance to the village um, so you can't get back in there if you've missed something unless you defeat. Uh, Dark Valifor. Uh, but uh, the, I mean, the, the way that you fight them is, uh, there, there's basically two ways to fight the Dark Aeons. Um, the first one is to level up and get strong and uh, really like learn what the mechanics of each Aeon is because they are slightly different, all of them. Uh, though, generally speaking, the strategy at the end of the day uh, comes down to grinding until you're powerful enough to defeat them. Um, but the easy way out is to, of course, pay your best friend, Yojimbo, a few coins. And uh, Yojimbo, having the ability to kill anything in the game in one hit, also kills the Dark Aeons, and there's no problem with that. Uh, you can just wipe them out with Yojimbo if you want. How, with a, with a, how with many a little coins? Bit of luck. How many coins does that usually cost? I mean, there's there's uh, difficult mathematical calculations depending on on what answer you've given to your Jimbo at the beginning when you've recruited him and and uh, all of that. But uh, you can do it from anything from one gill a pop to to you know giving your Jimbo uh, a few hundred thousand gill if you want each time. But uh, yeah, you can you can also just give one gill and try to get lucky uh, mm. and, and just reload uh, if, if, uh, if, uh, if you want to do that. Very. Toss a coin to your Aeon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yojimbo is the answer to everything. If you've, if you've got a problem and you can't really like figure it out, then yeah, just calling Yojimbo and you know, it's fine. Did I see that he's going to be in Chocobo GP? Did I see a Yojimbo in Chocobo GP? Mm. I don't think so. I uh, I think you might might have seen a picture of uh, Gilgamesh. Uh, oh, that's the one. looks a little one. bit similar. That's yeah, the similar one I was thinking one, of. Yeah. yeah, good point. Um, has just asked, is this where your pronunciation of Janimos from Stardew comes from? Yes, I call Janimos in Stardew Jojimbos because <laughs> I struggle to say Janimos. Uh, so I always call them Jojimbos and he's just like, why are you saying Jojimbo? And that, that is why I am so sorry. That, that's what happens. Um, and Paul is saying that Jojimbo is in 14, you should check it out. 
Uh, yes, Paul. So <laughs> always, always, I, I need to always play 14. So um, my next question is another one <clears throat> for Dupe. What is the incentive? Well, it's for either of you, really. What is the incentive for completing the monster arena? What items do you get from it? Um, so for the monster arena, that is actually one of my least favorite things relating to the celestial weapons, um, because you need to complete the whole monster arena to uh, power up Oren's uh, celestial weapon fully, and uh, that can that, that that's a long grind having to. Uh, defeat 10 of each monster in all of the areas in the game uh, with capture weapons on uh, so you couldn't even have started it like early on or anything like that um, so so yeah it, it relates mostly uh, again there's you get from um, from completing those uh, area conquests and species conquests as they're called uh, you get uh, a lot of good items for like customizing your weapons and armor and uh, mixing for Riku and all of that, uh, you get those um, rare items. But the big big thing here is, of course, again, the Celestial Weapons. So you have... You get... Um, uh, you get Oren's Celestial Weapon maxed out through that, and you also get uh, Yuna's Celestial Weapon to begin with uh, through that. You get the, the Nirvana weapon itself uh, through the Monster Arena by just doing a, a little part of it. And then you also need a another little part of the monster arena to be able to then unlock the Maga Sisters uh, summon from uh, from uh, the Bevel... No, the Re Requiem uh, Temple. Remium Temple. Hmm. Remium Temple uh, over there. Uh, so, so yeah, those are the main things. Nirvana, the Blossom Crown, and the Mars Sigil. I... Yeah, it it can yeah, take so on, much Chris. time. Go on, Chris. Just, yeah, it, it, it can take a lot of time. Uh, and it's also uh, getting, like, the cactars, getting 10 of those, because it just takes so long to even encounter one. And so you are just spending hours fleeing battles that, you know, you've already captured all of those things, and the uh, the AP's not really, the experience isn't really worth it. And so just, you know, waiting to get the, the one monster that you need and then a cactar runs away before you can get capture it, and it's just such a such a headache. So, uh, yeah, definitely one of the the hardest and and most time consuming ways of getting weapons. Yeah, although um, I, I guess one incentive to do it as well is to get those uh, area and species and original monsters that it creates, because the, those are um, the main way to getting like to to really those like dark aeon defeating levels. Uh, as you can farm some powerful bosses there uh, for for very very uh, powerful items, and of course, defeating one of the super bosses in the game requires you to complete the master arena to be able to fight it first. Which mm -hmm. one's that, Jupe? Uh, Shiryu is the is the final original uh, creation that the monster arena um, owner creates uh, for you, which is um, which is an interesting fight because it forces you to fight underwater which means, as we all know, nobody else can fight underwater except for, for Titus, Waka, and Riku. Uh, Riku for unknown reasons. Titus and Waka because they are Blitzball players, so they can, you know, breathe underwater, but Riku is there because... All Albets can breathe character. underwater. That's my thought. 
Um, I don't think so because uh, Riku does wear some sort of like diving suit uh, oh, in the Paul beginning of the game, Riku and also when machina. you get something to do with the machina. And the others don't yeah, use I think I always took it as she like had just had a lot of experience doing dives like to try to get find new Machina. Um and that's how she kind of built up that skill, but who knows? Yeah. <laughs> they needed a third character. <laughs> <laughs> I uh it's weird. I remember when I was young and played it, I actually did do the Monster Arena. Uh I would never have the patience now, but I do remember doing all of it so that I got uh Yuna and Oren's stuff that was necessary and then I definitely never did the Dark Aeons <laughs> um okay so can you this is for Chris can you explain the ties between a Final Fantasy X's final boss with the parasite Yu Yevon and the in-game religion of the same name yeah, this is, a, for me, something that's really compelling. Uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a historian. I teach history. Uh, and so the idea of how history is understood and the way that institutions kind of use memory and ideas uh, and how that changes over time, I think is really fascinating. So uh, I, I think that this is a really cool but very complex and convoluted part of the lore of the game. Um, so essentially, a thousand years ago, uh, what would create sin is when Bavel is winning this Machina war against Xanarkand. And Yu Yevin is this summoner, probably the most powerful summoner. And he decides that, understanding that Xanarkand is going to be destroyed, essentially, he uh, refuses to allow this to happen. And he convinces much of the population of the city to become fates. And using those fates, he will summon it a dream Xanarkand. He will summon a city that is a version of Xanarkand that he hopes will live on forever. Um, these this you know dream version of the city, which is where Titus and Jekt come from. Um, but to isolate this dream Xanarkin from the rest of the world, he also creates this new weapon out of pyreflies, an armor out of pyreflies, which is Sin. Um, he armors himself with that, so he's kind of inside of Sin. And to protect the city and also kind of for revenge, uh, Sin destroys every other Machina city in Spira and continues to attack any new significant population that rises up in the world. Um, his daughter, Unaleska, is the first High Summoner when she turns her husband, Lord Zeon, into a final Aeon and uses that to destroy Sin. But Yuyevin, at that point, uh, and I'm, I'm assuming Yuyevin is destroyed alongside, uh, or perhaps his physical body is destroyed alongside Sin at that point, but he is able to possess uh, the final Aeon of Lord Zeon, uh, the Zeon the Aeon. Um, and he does so and turns that into a new sin after taking a couple, you know, a few years to, to kind of rebuild. Um, so over, you know, centuries, every time a, uh, final summoning takes place and a final Aeon destroys sin, Yu Yevon, then, uh, becomes a parasite, becomes, a, a possess possesses that Aeon and, uh, that turns that into the new sin, um, the religion, Yevin, is then built off of a uh, kind of an, underst an incomplete understanding around these actions and this history, because most people have no idea where sin comes from. Um, but they 
uh, worship Yevin as uh, teachings against things like Machina um, because they see that Sin is attacking Machina cities, and he's attacking cities that grow larger, which often comes because of technological prowess. So um, even though the maesters might know the origin of Sin, they keep the eternal nature and the the re, uh, re, um, reviving nature of Sin uh, outside of the knowledge of the general populace and just use those teachings to try to continue to control the people of Syrah. So a thousand years after this begins, Yu Yevin is essentially at that point an unthinking parasite who just is continuing the cycle of living within sin, ensuring its rebirth, and uh, you know continuing to attack things without any kind of uh, particular malevolence, just you know maintaining this status quo. But the religion Yevin is very divorced from that original person. It's really more focused on using the uh, the ramifications of the destruction that came with Yu Yevin's final acts to uh, help them maintain control of a society that is uh, so precarious because of the the destruction that comes with sin. Um, but you know. I think that this is something that I definitely didn't understand my first few playthroughs because it is so, so um, interesting. But it's it's a way, I think, for the game to also kind of really highlight how Yevin itself is not a, like the religion Yevin is not an ally um, and that it is in some ways tied to this final boss of Yu Yevin, but in other ways it is, uh, you know, as institutions have done in our society, it, you know, interprets uh, the past and it ter- interprets its teachings in ways that are best going to serve its present historical context. <sighs> Sorry, I'll, I'll, I'll take my, my history professor hat off. <laughs> <laughs> that is the best description I have had to understand, to finally understand that question. Because, oh... It just messes with my head trying to work it all out. And you just, you got it. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so oh, my much. Pleasure. Thanks for putting up with it. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent, like, uh, explanation of the situation. And, and I, I really think it's, it's an interesting, um, interesting thing to kind of learn in the game as you play through it that uh, the the Yevon that you've kind of thought of as, as one of the factions that is trying to fight Sin is actually kind of created by Sin. So, yeah. Very interesting. It is, it is, it is very, it messes with my head, this Final Fantasy story, but you're helping me get my head around it. <laughs> um, so... Moving on from that, let's talk about the hardest boss fight in Final Fantasy X. Jupe, which one is the hardest boss fight in Final Fantasy X, and how would you go about killing them? What do you get for killing them as well? Yeah, so that's a, that's a good question, uh, because you can interpret the question, what's the hardest boss fight, in many different ways. But um, I think uh, the, the most like objectively hardest is, of course, the like final, final super boss of it all, uh, called Penance, uh, which Penance, which you fight after you fought all the Dark Aeons. Um, and, and uh, of course, there's a lot of other fights that are super hard in the game. But that's that's like 
biggest one with the biggest stats and and everything and and what that basically means in terms of fighting uh penance is that because it is brought up so so like over the top to the max uh, you don't actually have that much room for any sort of creative strategy. There really is only like a few ways you can defeat penance. Um, and and there's, there's like just a certain kind of gameplay loop that you have to go into to, to fight the, the boss because you can't... Um, there, there's only so much uh, room in the sphere grid, you can fill it out. But even then, you're not strong enough to just like defeat penance by just you know going in there and having fun. Uh, you you gotta you gotta you know follow the rules of the fight. Uh, so it requires you to become. Uh, it requires you to basically max yourself out, and then um, and and then like really figure out how to how to win. Um, but uh, of course, you also have. Uh, Option number two, Yojimbo. Uh, <laughs> as always. Um, but yeah, uh, as with uh, the sort of ultimate super bosses in all the other Final Fantasy games, um, uh, you don't really get anything from it other than the satisfaction of, of winning. And and um, I'm I'm actually not sure. Uh, you, you might get some uh, achievements on, on, on uh, consoles or Steam or such. Uh, I'm actually not sure about that. Hmm. No, I, I didn't know about that myself. Do you usually fight penance? Oh, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> that was an outright no. Chris, what about you? Do you fight penance? I do not. Um, I, uh, you know, most of the times I played this was, was through the original game. I kept my PlayStation 2 around forever so I could just replay this on and on. But uh, I remember when I first got the HD remaster, um, which is the first time that it was available in North America to fight the Dark Aeons and these some of these other bosses, uh, backtracking to try to get the Jex Sphere in Besaid and then fighting Dark Valifor and getting clobbered with it. And just being like, okay, yeah, how much time am I going to have to put into uh, grinding to get to the level where I can even stand a chance here? Uh, and even when you get to those levels, from, from what I've seen, a lot of it is still depending on RNG of like how your luck stat is going to match up with the luck stat of these things. And, and your ability to hit them uh, is itself kind of not uh, something that you can guarantee. So... Yeah, I've never been able to put the time into it. I actually started uh, when I knew I was going to be on this podcast. I was like, you know what? I'm finally going to do it. I'm going to do replay Final Fantasy X, and I'm going to do everything. Um, so I can talk about you know whatever I need to talk about. And I just I still couldn't have gotten anywhere near close to it. I just didn't have the time to to invest in that much uh, that much grinding. No, um, same. Uh, chat. <laughs> Chat, please can I ask you if you have any questions for these guys, um, please pop them into the uh, Channel Point Redemption. It just says, ask a Final Fantasy question. It's 50 points. If you have anything, um, aim it at us. Paul is surprised that neither of us, neither of you said Unileska. Uh, Unileska is okay. a really hard hard like story boss uh mm. because she uses both zombie and mm. automatic death so you uh, i actually really like that that 
boss because it makes you have to be clever. You know, kind of what Dupe was saying earlier, how other bosses, you kind of only have one way of doing it. In Aleska, you really can be clever and, and, and figure out uh, how to balance a, a team that will be able to survive, uh, you know, her regular attacks, but also survive these automatic deaths by having zombified versions or aeons or whatever else is. So that's definitely one that has taken me a while and is particularly difficult because there is a very long cutscene that you can't skip right beforehand, mm-hmm. uh, which has definitely given me some frustrations in the past. But yeah, yeah, that's a good one to bring up. Um, actually, uh, if, if we if we start starting to talk, you know, a boss fight. Um. <laughs> One thing I love about the fight is not actually the fight itself, but but the uh, two boss fights that uh, precede it. Uh, the fight against Seymour, Seymour, um, uh, one of the Seymours. I don't remember the name of the boss fight, but you know the Gagagets. one. Gagazet. Yeah, the Gagazet Seymour. The, the Seymour uh, after after murdering all of the all of Veronsos, except not really. Um, so, uh, because in that fight you learn about. Um, the the game kind of teaches you in that fight against Seymour, it teaches you about uh, zombie and full life combo because uh, Seymour likes to do that to just like wipe somebody out so it it gives you a kind of tutorial on that sense uh, in that fight and then the fight against the the Sanctuary Keeper also uh, gives you a bit of a uh, tutorial uh, preview of what the gameplay mechanics are that come into play in Unaleska's fight, and in Unaleska's fight, these mechanics are put together and and kind of brought to you again. Like, okay, you've learned it now, so now you can do it right, 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 and then you die, and then you try again. That's really astute. I never really thought about it that way. That's really that's very very smart. Um. Gecko has said Dark Anima is arguably a really hard super boss. Agree. I mean, I just can't yeah, do any yeah. of the dark ones. Yeah. As, as I said, there's there's a lot of lot of hard bosses in this game. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. Do we feel like there might be more difficult extra bosses in this than other Final Fantasy games? Because you've got all the dark aeons. I'm just thinking of the other Final Fantasies that have that many. I mean, uh, it's it's up to where, like, what what is your threshold for super super difficult boss fights? But uh, I think yes, because yeah, you have all the dark aeons. You have you have penance. You have um, you have you have uh, the monster arena, which is already pretty much like the original all the original creations are like <laughs> difficult super super bosses you have omega weapon uh all of those so yeah it definitely has a lot of boss fights mm. probably the most mm. it's like i mean like yeah it's all the extras all of the extra not necessary bosses that are very difficult it's very interesting so gecko says 10 probably has the most only one i think comes close is 13 2 Jupe mm, can think on that one because he's been playing through those. Um, all right, so I'm just going to have a look and see what questions we have had uh, from chat. Now, bear with me because my phone doesn't like to show it anymore. Um, so we've... <laughs> Cerulean actually asked quite a while ago, who is your favourite Final Fantasy VIII summon? Which was when we were talking about the summons of ten. Uh, 
you're welcome to answer that question, either of you. Well, I was lucky enough to be to be on eight with you uh, a few months ago, and I, I talked about then about how I liked the the lightning summon then too, uh, which is Quetzalcoatl. Uh, so yeah, uh, clearly I've got a theme going on. <laughs> uh, I mean, for me, uh, there's there's a uh, the. <laughs> I don't know because for for me the guardian forces uh, have always been in Final Fantasy VIII have been a very passive thing. I I barely ever use them in in gameplay because I've I've learned how to break the game otherwise. So why why even <laughs> bother with them? But <laughs> but uh, I I I think one uh, my my favorite probably is would would have to be Odin uh, as as a kind of. Um, pseudo summon uh, uncontrollable one because of the cool uh kind of story uh relation there and then becoming well i i count odin and gilgamesh kind of as the same in that uh, and then becoming gilgamesh uh and and specifically becoming gilgamesh from my second favorite final fantasy game so you know eh. <laughs> um paul's written do train and then gecko's done shiva with an orgasmic face um my other question that i've had so far from chat is from waking saying um was blitzball a good idea or do you think that square enix misread the audience so how do we feel about about Blit the idea of blitzball was it a good I idea it. i i think it, it it works um i think also I don't know. I, I can't speak for, you know, was this a good idea generally uh, for kind of, you know, did it, was it a sound strategy in regards to making this game popular? The game was clearly popular. Uh, so I don't know. I don't think I know anyone who plays the game for Blitzball, but I, I you know, I don't see anyone who plays eight for Triple Triad either. Uh, you know, even though I think that that's typically considered one of the best uh, of those kinds of, of mini games. So. Yeah, I do think it's quite interesting how you've had all of these card games in all of these Final Fantasies, and then this one, they're like, we're gonna go Blitzball! We're gonna have lots of fun with a ball instead of cards! That's gonna get the kids interested! <laughs> Just change it up a little bit. Um, I mean, I, I, I like the fact that they actually tied the minigame to the story, though. Um, like... Uh, I, it's it's hard to say which came first, the chicken or the egg. But like um, having actual like integration of of the thing into the story uh, is cool because I I like it when everything's kind of integrated into the story as well. Um, which um, uh, uh, if 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 I may, I I I I can go a little off topic from that question into another thing about Final Fantasy X. Mm -hmm. that i i love go on <laughs> thank you thank you uh, about um uh i i like um in comparison to some final fantasy games where um you 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 know you have in in this era of final fantasy you had like vocal themes uh in in the games and in this one it's uh suteki dene and in uh what what i really like about that uh is that it is from the point of view of the story, it is from the point of view of Yuna, uh, and and it really works when it plays during that scene, 
because the the song talks about you know wanting to wanting to go uh, to to see Tiresin City and and you know wanting to uh, wanting to live that other life, but then not being able to. Lovely. Uh, Soundtrack is great. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just reading a little bit of chat there. Paul says, I don't mind Blitzball, but having to play it for Wacker's Celestial is tiring. Um, what else? Oh, Gecko said, I always took it as Odin. Oh, so this is Final Fantasy. Yeah, I always took it as Odin dying and Gilgamesh appearing through the void and taking Odin's sword for his own. Yeah, I seem to remember that. Um... Okay, so uh, what is we've got our last few questions. Gecko's just chucked one in. We'll read that in a minute. Thank you very much. If anyone else has any questions, do exactly what Gecko just did. Uh, go into the channel points and chuck it our way. Um, so, Dupe, I believe you played a Yuna-only run of Final Fantasy X. We did touch on this earlier, but how did that fare? And what are some of the other challenge runs that people do with Final Fantasy X? Um... It went well. Uh, it was actually surprisingly interesting. Um, I chose Yuna specifically because I thought it was going to be the easiest one uh, of, of the single character uh, playthroughs because uh, Yuna is, is um, the most powerful uh, of the characters, uh, having access to all the Aeons, um, basically gives that um so it was it was actually really interesting and and there were actually a few uh interesting gotcha moments there like um one of my my favorite was was, was uh before macalania temple when you fight the albed uh machina um i i actually i actually got into a a problem there uh, otherwise the game had been pretty uh, surprisingly easy with just yuna uh but there uh, was a little bit of a problem because uh the machina has the anti-magic uh, field that is created by the little bit thing that flies and it flies so Yuna's normal attacks can't uh, reach it uh, so uh, you have to have some sort of a thing that is not magic but is an ability that can damage something ranged so I had to kind of ponder through that and then decided to like backtrack through the whole sphere grid back into the center and pick up Lancet, which I should have just picked up right away at the beginning so that I could actually defeat that, so I could actually defeat the boss. Uh, so that was a cool moment. As well as learning that there is a potential way if you, if you like, in, in a normal playthrough, you would never be able to not defeat Yu Yevon in that final battle. But I actually had some problems, because if you only have the one character, um, and if they are not like super powerful, powered up, uh, and in that situation when you have no <laughs> Aeons to call upon, um, you might actually end up in a situation where you can't, def you can't deal enough damage to you, Yevon, and it just heals through all the, all the damage you do. Um, so, yeah, it was fun. Uh, I can recommend it. As a as a as a challenge playthrough, um, I might do some others for single character runs, but um, other like really um, what one really big like uh, category of challenge runs is the new no sphere grid run. Um, I've never tried it myself. I've watched a few a few runs of it, but it is basically the the classic Final Fantasy uh, challenge of not using your progression or not using your 
equipment or whatever uh, it is in, in, a, in a Final Fantasy game. So it really hampers you down when you don't have basically any progression from the beginning. You only have kind of your ingenuity and, and uh, creative ways of using your items and everything. So it is a really uh, interesting uh, challenge run to do. Um, but then, you know, you can think of all sorts of different uh, challenge runs, whether you want to want to do it without any summons, um, you want to do it without um, any overdrives and stuff like that. Like you can you can just stack these together however you want. Uh, you can even play a game where you never play Blitzball, which was actually part of my Yuna uh, playthrough and I was sad about it, not being able to play any Blitzball. Oh. <laughs> um, let's go through some questions that peeps have asked in chat before we do our final few that are aimed at both of you. So Gecko asked, what was the moment that made you feel most invested and wanting to get to the end of, of the story? We'll start with Chris on that one. I mean, think on it. <laughs> yeah, I think that... Uh... It was entering Xanarkand, uh, the, the ruined Xanarkand, and the callback to the opening cinematic of the game, and then also it being, uh, you know, realizing that the, their battle music wasn't coming on, um, and that they just maintained that, that mournful background music uh, as you go, it just, for me, really made me want to push forward and really made me want to you know, kind of come to the end. Uh, and it's also a time period when these characters are thinking that they're coming to the end. And they're talking about, you know, we're getting to this this choice, this decision that we have to make, and we want to find another way around it, but we can't think of how. Uh, and so it just kind of built up this, this really... Um, it's really strong kind of uh, pull forward for me. I think the game as a whole has amazing pacing. Uh, I think that the first, you know, few islands run, run through pretty quickly uh, all the way through Luca. Then you get a little more of an extended period on the Meehan High Road leading up to Operation Meehan, which is obviously very destructive. Uh, then you, you know, start going through these places that I think are really interesting world building uh, in the Thunder Plains and in Guadalajara. And then you have that big twist and afterwards this slow movement through the Calmlands and Gagazet until you get to Xanarkand. And then it just becomes this kind of... Uh, just amazing yeah pull factor for me uh that that i think always is what i think of, of as the thing that that propels me forward the most what about you jupe um so this question is a little bit problematic because it was 20 21 years ago that i played this the first time so i don't remember <laughs> but uh i mean what i do remember is is the fact that um before this um, I had played seven, I had played eight, I had played nine, and as I said, I bought this game myself. So, you know, I was already invested before I even started the game. Uh, <laughs> I was already sold on it. Uh, so, so um, you know, pretty well, I, as far as I can remember, uh, the first, uh, first FMV of, of, you know, Titus uh, playing some Blitzball uh which which uh of course like when you first see it it's like uh wait, wait what are they doing they're swimming in a sphere 
uh, what? <laughs> but but it's cool, and you've got some some uh, cool music playing, uh, and and uh, the whole scene is is of course like um, interesting when Sin appears and everything. But also back then it was incredibly good looking. Even though if you now roll in the original PS2 version on like a screen of that era, you'll be like, ah. Uh. But back then it was like, whoa, whoa. Yeah. Um, the next question comes from Rish. Uh, has anyone completed the entire game? Is that even possible? Can you 100% this game? You can. It just takes a long time. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 go ahead, Duba. Yeah, I think I, I think there's no no um, nothing in the game that you couldn't like 100%. So. Yeah, yeah. It takes a long time. Like my my uh my standard save length for this game when I'm playing like a really a really like a completionist run is is like 100 hours when we're talking about like no boosters, no speed boost. Uh so yeah, it takes a long time. I I definitely think I 100% of everything that was on the original North American version of my PS2 uh, back in the day. But uh, the, yeah, the, the North American, or the, the, the HD remake, uh, too, too much new content. Plus has just written, wow, that's nearly 20% of the time I've spent on Dota. Thanks, Plus. Um, uh, so Rish has also asked, what do you think of the music in Final Fantasy X? That's a really good question. What do you guys think of the music in Final Fantasy X? Do you want to go? Yeah, I mean it's great. It's amazing. It's it's uh it's very very good. It's uh I think that the every time I I hear one of those songs um it automatically takes me to the place that it it's it's in like they're so tied to those uh to those locations and so good at building those and and then building up the uh um the tension and the and the the tone of the game in such amazing ways that yeah i can't imagine this game without uh without that soundtrack yeah it's uh it is amazing um it is um final fantasy 10 has the i think the longest um soundtrack of of uh the series up until that point um and uh yeah it's 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 Overall, really, really great. It's got really, really great songs in it. Uh, great nostalgic memories, of course, but in general as well. Um, but uh, what I would say about it is that um, I, I did like... Um, last year, I, I went through all the Final Fantasy soundtracks and kind of just gave gave them all a listen and, and thought about what are my favorite songs of each, each game. And in Final Fantasy X, I noticed that... Um, I, I first listened to the songs and then checked them out on the wiki uh, for the credits. And I noticed that the songs that I liked were all Uematsu songs. <laughs> so uh, uh, as this was the first, first uh, Final Fantasy where um, Uematsu had some help uh, from, from um, three or four other uh, composers, um, you can definitely see that it is a different kind of soundtrack. Um, and... and I I like them, uh, except that I 
think the prelude version in this is terrible. I've always thought it, and I found it funny that HBOM uh, <laughs> loved it uh, at the beginning of uh, or before we started the podcast. I think it's fun. I think it's a fun take. It's totally different to all the others. Yes, it's cheesy, but that's why I find it really funny. Um, I think it's it's definitely a good introduction to the podcast, don't you think? <laughs> All right, let's uh, let's move on to um, the questions I've I've got as well. Um, so we're coming to our final few questions, which are for both of you. Um, we'll start with Chris. Are there any negatives to this game in your eyes? Yeah, uh, this is actually a good a good transition because I would say the first thing that comes to my mind is the metal song in the beginning of the game, um, which I don't love generally. It's not my type of music, but in particular, I don't love it as the you know one of the first moments uh, of the game because I just don't think that it fits with the tone of the game and where it's going to go. I think that the opening cinematic for sure does, but the that that song it just doesn't you know, it doesn't really fit right with what I think the the world of Final Fantasy X is and should be. Um, I think that it it does become powerful again when it comes on when you're fighting Jekt, but uh, at the end of the game, but I think that its use at the very beginning just is something that I, I, I always am bugged with, and uh, it's something that I've had to, to tell pe- some people, like, don't worry about that, the music gets better, uh, you know, if they're playing for the first time. Mm. Do you put about yourself? Do you have any negatives in this game? Um, it's a super hard question for me because honestly, I, w- I was thinking about it for so long, and I was like, eh, no. <laughs> um, I I really honestly I don't I don't have that much uh, bad to say about it. Uh, like there's there's. Um, there's just so, so much good, so much good about it uh, that it it is really hard for me to think of anything. But um, I think uh, the two things that I wanna I wanna highlight is first of all I do need to reiterate that Lulu is the worst. Um, <laughs> I I I I I love how how um how great Lulu is as a character and then how bad. Uh, she's as as a playable character, um, but also um, in addition to to that, I do have to give Final Fantasy X a minus point for for just absolutely sidelining Moogles. Just you know, <laughs> having Moogles be just like one stuffed animal toy weapon for Lulu is just it's horrible. Oh, they, they should have. They should have figured out a way. I I am willing. I am willing to sacrifice the high pillow. No riding the shoe puff. Ride the shoe puff, Kupo? That would have worked. That's what I'll say. You just hear the pain in your voice when you just say how it should have had Moogles. Um, Rish is... Oh, sorry, go on, Chris. No, that, that that point about the Moogles kind of made me start thinking about uh, just like you know representation of of different uh, species beings uh, in in the the 
the game. And I do think that that's one thing they could have done better on as well. They clearly want the kind of animosity towards the Albed to be a crucial part of their world building. But I think when they also have Guado, when they have Ronso, which almost get genocide committed against them, like there could be a deeper engagement with the ways that those kinds of uh, structural inequalities exist and and that kind of racism and engagement exists uh, that I think they have the room for if that they could have explored a little bit more. Um, but that's more of a missed opportunity, I think, than, than a negative for the game. Yeah. Um, yeah, Rish was saying, I agree with Dupont Lulu. However, I hate Titus's blitzball skills. Okay. <laughs> Thanks for that, Rish. I mean, I, I don't... I think a lot of people like Lulu. I like Lulu. I like that I can accessorize her with different plushies. Uh, I I like her large collection of belts. And some people like her for some other things she has. So, you know, I think Jupe might be uh, one, of, one of the few that dislikes Lulu on, on their screen. Um, no, again, again... Again, I need to reiterate, it's not that I hate Lulu as a character, just gameplay-wise, gameplay-wise, just in battle, mm-hmm. Lulu is trash. Aww, Which ties to, ties to Moogles being sidelined. Hello, Croesus. Croesus also likes her large collection. Yes, Croesus. Um... You see, I like I like her double cast. I, I like uh, I I mean I always like black mages, so you know I'm I'm probably gonna like that in general. So makes sense. But anyway, our next question, Croesus, if you have any questions that you would like to ask either of these two about Final Fantasy X, please do chuck them in the normal way. Uh, redeem it in the channel point. Um, what are your overall thoughts? Oh, now here is where we talk about Ten Two. We finally get to this. What are your overall thoughts on Ten Two, and do you think people should play it? Please, could you explain the difference of playing Ten Two to Ten? Uh, either of you could start. If whichever one. Go ahead, do. Uh, I love Ten Two. Um, it is, it is um, great um, when you don't go into it expecting. Final Fantasy X again. Um, it's not the same game at all. Like the uh, ga- gameplay difference is, is definitely big. Like for me, Final Fantasy X, something we haven't mentioned at all, uh, Final Fantasy X's like gameplay mechanic, the combat system, is to me like the peak of the Final Fantasy series. That was the best uh, combat system in the whole game, uh, whole series. Um, in 10.2, they make it uh, real-time, which I, 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 <laughs> I like far less. And, and uh, you, uh, instead of changing characters, you change uh, outfits. Uh, you, you change jobs, basically, mid, mid-combat, which is actually kind of fun. Uh, compared to uh, like the previous time you had a job system in a game with Final Fantasy V, where you could change your jobs... Uh, but just outside of combat, this time you can do kind of dynamically do it uh, during battle, which I assume is what led to Final Fantasy XIII. <laughs> but but yeah, I I I really 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 like the the game um, because it when you go into it and you just sort of accept that okay, this is gonna be 
uh, a little bit more like lighthearted fun uh, with with these characters. Um, you you get to you know have a have a fun experience, but also um, you get a continuation on pretty much everything in Final Fantasy X. Um, some stuff that I don't think needed necessarily to be uh, concluded, uh, but but uh, things that really are really cool. And and again, uh, gotta talk about Yuna and say that it is great to see how they how they like brought a new side of Yuna in that game and and gave her again a lot of great um, character character um, development in the game and depending on your ending um, also slightly different kinds of uh, development in it yeah I I also love 102 uh, it's honestly one of my favorite Final Fantasy games um, I don't think that it is as good as Final Fantasy 10 I think that 10 has uh, just especially a better narrative that it's giving um, and it is able to engage with that in really really profound ways but personally I really really enjoy 102 I actually disagree with you dupe I love the gameplay uh, I remember um, the first time I, I I played the demo of it that came with the PlayStation official magazine that I got specifically because I wanted that demo and playing and and doing trigger happy with R1 while I'm attacking with my other characters blew my mind. I was like, this is amazing. This is taking these elements of Final Fantasy and making it more active because even the ATBs of 7 and 8 and 9, I felt like were, were so much less active than this. And so I really dug that. I also like 13's combat. So maybe it's just a different play style that I, I, I appreciate. But I think that generally 10-2 is great because uh, 10 is in so many ways about the uh, a massive change in the way that a world is structured and about resisting uh, the forces that tell you that the world is just as it is and that it can't be changed. Um, and ultimately that is overthrown at the end of 10. And then 10-2 is about what comes next. What comes after not only these individuals that we spent time with, but society as a whole starts to uh, think about how to um, develop their own agency, what they want to see out of their society, what they can build when they don't have structures in place that stop them from doing so, whether that be a patriarchal system in uh, you know of control in Yevon or a giant whale that destroys your village every time you get more than 20 people living there. Uh you know, I think that that the ways that there are new ideas and competing ideas on how people are going to build that world is really fascinating. Um, and it also lets people experience joy in a time that they ha in a way that they haven't before. Um, I was just telling my partner who who's not a, a gamer. Um, I showed her the opening cutscene of Ten Two and just how dramatic a shift it is from. Final Fantasy X, but in large part that's because, you know, now they can go to a concert and just have fun listening to music in a way that that society couldn't before. And Yuna gets to experience new ways of yeah, exploring her own identity, exploring what she likes, how she wants to spend her time outside of the constraints of, uh, of a society that, you know, gave her so much responsibility. Um, so I like that. I like the messiness of, of the world post, uh, the 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 saving of the world um and what it looks like afterwards i think that the the big bad in it uh and, and the kind of that journey isn't as engaging um but i think that the 
relationships. Like, if you really care about the people in 10, 10 2 is a great game to continue to see their development, what what comes next for them. Uh, and so I, I, I love the game. Though I also, yeah, look back at it in a way that um, there there's some some elements that uh, are pretty fan servicey and and pretty uh, you know things that would be definitely not I think created the same way in 2022 for good reason. Yeah, yeah, and um, yeah, like the I, I really like in general games when or, or sequels when they like have some sort of time skip to it and and they really explore like how how society has changed from from what it was. So it is it is really cool in that sense uh, to see it all. Um, and um, what else was I going to say? Oh yeah, um, the 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 journey um, really feels like a continuation in a way, because uh, it starts you off uh, with this sort of really harsh difference to ten. Um, whether whether it is you know the the concert at the beginning or or even like Yuna's character who like Yuna seems to suddenly be really really like aloof and not not really care care about anything and it's just like eh, whatever I'll just look for these fears uh, but then eventually like kind of regaining herself and being like okay well I guess I'll save the world again. <laughs> And, Which, and uh, as a 19 year old i buy that you know she's she's <laughs> discovering who she is uh as as her own person definitely yeah very interesting very good chat about 102 paul has written i love the 102 job system but the story and gameplay is icky um and rish seems to be realizing that he's old and says um when Yuna sings, I got chills with that. Although I love the fact they shifted music in Final Fantasy X and continued that onwards in X-2. Uh, so I don't, uh, don't believe Rish is uh, as big a fan of the soundtracks of X. <laughs> I, I think um, the, the soundtrack in X-2 is, is, I would call, somewhat more forgettable than um in general than 10 um but it is it is good and i mean it reuses a lot of a lot of stuff from the previous game um but uh i i do have to i do have to um agree that uh well not mm, the the first song is not uh as as like amazing to me but but uh i i do really think that the uh song in the thunder plains uh, thousand words is really good because uh, you get that, you know, you get that feeling of the of the parallel story and everything, and it's it's, it's a really good song. Croesus has just said the drastic change of Una in ten to Una in ten two is too far fetched in my opinion. I like ten two, but I feel like they demolished her character to fit a narrative. Ooh. Um, I uh, yeah I. Uh... I, I I disagree with that a little bit with, with Croesus there. I think uh, I think I I can buy Yuna's character in in Ten Two at the beginning, like the the fact that she is so different in a way because it's like, well, she's she's just like she the two years or ago she she lost like uh, a lot of things <laughs> that she loved and she has to like figure out new things to do and new ways to to live and 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 like i i think she in because the game gives you in in 102 
just like in 10, it gives you the internal monologue of the character, which is really great. Um, I, I think Yuna explains, you know, being sort of without direction, not really knowing where to go, because you got to remember that Yuna has, up until uh, the, the point in 10, uh, Yuna has lived a life where she has known from pretty much the very beginning what her path will be and, and how it will end. And she has known that she will die uh, very young once she's done this pilgrimage and then suddenly she just die and she's ne she needs to figure out what to do with life. So I, I buy it. Yeah, that's true. And uh, Rish is also agreeing, saying, imagine having all of the weight of the world put off you, pulled off of you. How would that change you? And then Croesus said, oh, I would dress completely different and become a singing of a singer, obviously. Yes. <laughs> um, okay, so our last question of this evening, if anybody else in chat has any other questions to chuck in, do them in the channel points command. Um, our last question is, what would you say to convince someone who has never played Final Fantasy X to pick it up today? Chris? Um, yeah, this is actually the, the game that I recommend most, uh, in particular to people who haven't played much Final Fantasy at all. Uh, and I think that people who play Final Fantasy have probably played Final Fantasy X, so I think most of the people are people who aren't as familiar with the series generally. But uh, yeah, I, t I tend to say that the... the um, the battle system is pretty approachable, uh, that there can, it can get some intense, uh, some complexity involved, but that if you just kind of want to do surface level, uh, engagement with it, you don't have to worry too much about having a high level skill, uh, coming into the game, which I think can be really attractive for, for a lot of players. Um, and I basically say, yeah, that, that, you know, it's a way of, you know, seeing a amazing story and really, really good storytelling, uh, where how a video game can be uh, a, a, a way of presenting a, a fascinating and powerful narrative and character development and world uh, that I think for me is up there with uh, many of the my favorite novels, uh, TV shows, movies, and everything else, and, and what I think about when I think about the the, the stories that have most moved me. So, uh, yeah, that, that's kind of how I would sell it. Very nice. And Jupe? Well, Chris basically stole the words out of my mouth in the <laughs> sense that, yeah, this is also... This is the, also, for me, the game that I... I um, recommend anyone who hasn't played Final yeah. Fantasy before to start off with um, because it is it is you know approachable in 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 many ways uh, compared to you know because I, I I don't want to recommend them anything like you know past 10 uh, as the first Final Fantasy necessarily because uh, I feel like they don't necessarily represent uh, the the older games so well um, so uh, I feel like this still has some representation of it uh, in, in a sense but what this has over some of the older games is that it has uh, graphics which um, look uh, look more palatable to someone who might not you know want to look at Final Fantasy VII's uh, polygons um, uh, and and also the voice acting which is something that can can uh, turn some people off if they just have to like read everything in, in, in a game uh, in, in modern times. So, so the voice acting, even though it can be a little cr cringy to some people at some times, uh, it really helps with that and it really helps you get into the characters as well when you can 
just kind of sit there and watch the movie as it happens. Yeah, I mean, um, I yeah, I always assumed it's it would be like like Croesus has just said uh, that there was a reason it was the most popular Final Fantasy in Japan. Um, and yeah, I think the the voice acting, be, you know, being the first one with voice acting, um, and and you know, having so many cinematics, it's just immediately something that a broader audience than previous Final Fantasies would be just able to take in and and play as a game as well. Um, Okay, so what else have we had saying in chat? Um, Rish says, I too tell people to try Final Fantasy X first if they haven't experienced the franchise. The story is so good. Um, <laughs> and then says that Final Fantasy XII and up are met. Well, Rish, I, whew, I actually quite like Final Fantasy XII. Um, you don't like the game, you just like Fran. I do like the game. I do like the game. Fran is awesome, but I actually like the game. Um, me too, me too. It's, it's a good one. Um, and actually, on that note, I'm not too sure what our next podcast topic will be, because what we normally do is an Easter quiz. Now, at this point, I need some, some, some quiz people. I need some people that are willing to have my hardest questions thrown at them and see who comes out on top. So if anybody is ever interested in joining us on any Final Fantasy, whether it be a quiz podcast or just a normal Final Fantasy podcast, do let me know. You can contact me in all of the places, all of the Twitter, the Discords, on Twitch and Whispers, just get in contact with me. Um, because if we don't do a quiz, technically, Eleven is next. Which will be very interesting, because I don't know anything about Eleven, but I do know some people who do. So that would be a very interesting topic to go through. And Paul Paul in chat is immediately in capitals. Eleven is amazing. Um, thank you, Paul. Um, so, yeah, so we will see. I will either find some of you people out there in the world and and get you in. I'm thinking of the quiz topic to be solely on moogles yeah Mo moogle themed quiz yeah dupe might be interested dupe might be a little bit interested oh. in that one hmm. <laughs> um but uh yes i w if anybody is interested do let me know do get in contact even if you just have some questions of final fantasy that you would love to throw at people just just send them to me whenever you think of them and i will keep them on a sheet for future um, so, on that note, we will now say our goodbyes to everybody. So, Chris and Dupe, we'll start with Chris. Could you please explain to everybody and, um, and we'll put, you can put links in chat as well. I'll permit links in chat, um, of anything you've got, um, saying where, what you do, where you're found and, um, and yeah, when. 
<laughs> yeah, so I uh, the best way to find me and the work that I do is through my podcast, Geek Between the Lines. Uh, so we are a podcast that explores geeky ideas and theme. Or, I'm sorry, compelling ideas and themes in geeky properties. Right now, we're doing a read through of the Hunger Games. We're about to finish the first book, uh, but we've also got a large back catalog where we look at themes in Star Wars and Harry Potter and Lord of the Rings and Avatar: The Last Airbender as well. Uh, so we do lots of fun stuff there. It's a, a great show. We have new episodes every Tuesday, and you can find us at bit.ly slash geekbetweenthelines. <gasps> bit.ly slash geekbetweenthelines. Oh, okay, I missed thanks. an E. I missed an E. Bit.ly geekbetweenthelines. Go there, guys. Go there. Hopefully that worked. Yes, I know, Paul. I know. Um, and dupe yourself. Uh, yeah, I, I stream here on Twitch on this on this platform we are here on right now. Uh, <laughs> except if you're watching this on YouTube. Mm -hmm. um, so so uh, yeah, I, I stream. Um, I stream um, different games, uh, but a lot of Final Fantasy as well. And I I. You you probably find me playing a Final Fantasy game, like uh, most of the time. Um, so so yeah, we we just finished the thirteen uh, trilogy, which uh, which, which um, I have a lot to say about. <laughs> but but this is the Final Fantasy ten ten podcast. <laughs> so um, <laughs> so we just finished that, and uh, as said, the next one is of course because the big release. Uh, next week is Chocobo GP. I'm going to be playing that. Uh, got to play the Chocobo GPs and watch the Chocobo story uh, unfold. But after that, we get back to another Final Fantasy game, which I have not told uh, anyone straight out yet, which it is, but I have only said that it is um, related to Final Fantasy XIII. Um, so, uh, yeah, that'll be that. And, uh, yeah, other games as well. Completely unrelated to Final Fantasy <laughs> and, 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 and JRPGs. We will have to get you back in for the Final Fantasy thirteen podcast because uh, there I don't think there's that many that play all three <laughs> of the Final Fantasy thirteen games. So uh, that will be a very interesting one. Um, and yes, I'm also looking forward to Chocobo, Chocobo GP, uh, this Thursday, isn't it, that it comes out? So, yep. um, I will have to have a look on my Switch on that day and, uh, and see what I can play. But thank you, everybody. Thank you so much, Chris and Duke, for joining us. Um, always wonderful answers. Really appreciate it. And thank you, everybody, in chat for your questions. Um, this will be going up on uh, YouTube tomorrow and also across all of your um, podcast places that you can listen to it. Thank you very much for joining us. And as I said, DMs always open if you want to take part in any future ones. Thank you very much. And we'll see you all soon. Everybody say bye! Thank you. Bye. Thanks. Bye.